morning, everyone. And we are very happy to have Robin Grable on the show today. Robin is the CEO and founder of Veterans Ascend and Ability Ascend. And we're going to get into a little bit about what that is. Robin is also a veteran of the U.S. Navy, where she served for nearly a decade. And part of that, she was tracking submarines, actually Russian submarines in Iceland. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you. We, we are grateful that you made the time, especially doing the work that you do. Uh, and especially when, when we were looking at veterans, uh, we have, uh, Gary and I have a very strong respect and, and, um, and love, if, if like for a better word, for, for the military. <laughs> so it'd be great to be able to delve into what you folks are doing over there at Veterans Ascend. And then also the sister company of, uh, of uh, that the other company that you have there uh, with, with helping those that are, that are disabled. So what can you tell us about uh, everything that you are doing? Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, so I'll start, you know, you mentioned the, my Navy career. Uh, I did serve during the height of the Cold War, which, you know, at the time I was, you know, young, right out of high school, 18, 19 years old, tracking those Russian submarines. I didn't realize at the time the magnitude of what I was really doing. You know, it was a job. I had the uniform on. I was proud of wearing the uniform. I was doing what I needed to do. Looking back on it now, and I think of the history, and I, I just saw a TV documentary about the 80s and, and the Cold War, and really the, the tenuous situation we were in. And now I'm, I have such a different sense of pride over what I was doing back then. So it's, it's really special. But that led me to really being an advocate for those who needed a voice to help represent themselves or promote themselves, promote their skills. Being a female in the military was not always accepted. It was a, a tough road, especially when I went in in 1979. It, it has changed a little, it's gotten a little bit better. Um, unfortunately, sadly to say, not completely fixed, but um, really gotten a lot better. But I really had the opportunity to advocate for females in the military at the time. That led me to an HR career when I got out of the Navy because I was told, You're, no one's going to understand what you did in the military. Don't even put that you were in the military because you're a female and people are just going to have all kinds of you know, perceptions about that. So I started my career over after 10, almost 10 years in the Navy with a lot of skills. Uh, started my career over, uh, spent 30 years in HR, met an Army veteran's wife in a chat room when I was finishing my master's, and she commented that her husband could not get an interview. And I thought, how in the world, 25 years later, is this still happening to our veterans? We serve our country, we put on the uniform, volunteering at this point, you know, there's uh, no draft. We're, we're raising our right hand to do this voluntarily. And how can we get out of that service and not be able to have opportunities for fulfilling careers beyond that? And it just, just really angered me, but it sparked in me the idea that we have to find a better way to connect employers and military talent. And it has to be just simple. What skills does an employer need for someone to do the job? Here's a candidate. Here's a veteran with those skills. Have a conversation. Uh, so we built 
an algorithm. We built an AI-powered talent sourcing platform to do just that. It really breaks the barriers, really removes the bias. Uh, we do not use a resume. I'm, I'm revolutionizing the hiring world and getting rid of the, re the resume because really what it comes down to, again, is an employer to look at what skills do you need someone to have, not what tasks you need done, but what skills do you need someone to have to do that job, to do those tasks? And now here's a candidate because we've translated their military experience into a skills list. Here's a person with those skills, have a conversation, give them the opportunity for that interview, give you the opportunity as the employer to, to capitalize on that military talent. So we built that program and then we leveraged that foundational technology for people with disabilities, not just military, um, but anyone with a disability. Again, anyone with a barrier to getting to an interview, that's really what it comes down to is, helping employers connect to the right talent and helping people that are have that have a barrier to get to an interview whether it's self-proclaimed you know you look at a, a job description or you look at a, a job post on the internet and you look at all the requirements of it and you think i i can't do that but truly you can if you think about things in a different way or if the employer was looking for the skills they needed not just the, the job the task to be done so we're opening up those doors for people with disabilities as well to be recognized for the skills they have, for the capabilities they have, for the aptitude to work, um, and really have those opportunities to get to that interview. So really, I'm humbled by the work because it's just so rewarding to help our businesses get to the right talent and help our military community as well as our, you know, our persons with disabilities to get, get to fulfilling careers. Hey, Robin. Do you mind kind of just focusing in a little bit on the veteran side of things? I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around why being a veteran would be a barrier to entry to any position. I mean, you've got people that are highly yeah. trained, highly disciplined. What are they running into? And why are employers hesitant to even look at veterans as a potential um, employee? Yeah, great question. You know what it comes down to is less than 1% of our population wears the uniform and serves in the military. And the military is an entirely different community, right? It's, a, it's got its own culture. It, it's just, it's its entire world uh, within the military, its own language. And if you don't speak that language, you're often hesitant to understand or look less knowledgeable about a candidate. So as an HR, and I, I spent 30 years in HR, so I'm, I am one of those people that look at a resume and try to figure out how this person fits into my organization. How does this person have the skills I need? Resumes, you ask a thousand people, you're going to get a thousand different ways to write a resume. Coming out of the military, it's very difficult to say, here's, I led a $34 million project in all the equipment that I was responsible for. I tracked Russian submarines. <laughs> How, who's going to hire me? <laughs> sure. You know, but but the skills required to do that job are things like strategic thinking, data processing, you know, data entry, sure. uh, you know, computer languages. Right? There's a, there's skills that go into those jobs. We don't break it down enough for the military service member to come out and be able to say that. We take it for granted. I mean, you're in the military, it's not about you. It's about the team. It's about the mission you're on. So you're not taking a skills inventory every day to say, oh, I'm in the infantry. Oh, today I did logistics. 
oh, tomorrow I'm building our, you know, our, uh, uh, you know, the housing for us uh, over. Uh, so, I mean, it, it really comes down to the huge disconnect, right, between the knowledge of the military and the military culture and the jobs in the military. When you, when you break it down, there are 85% of the jobs in the military have a direct civilian workplace correlation. It just, it's called something else, right? So a yeoman in the, in the Navy is an HR person, uh, but, but they call us yeomen. Uh, who knows why? There's probably some history there. I don't know. Uh, but but their their jobs and, and even in the infantry, which, you know, it's only, you know, one job, but very misunderstood. Infantry, if you look at the job description for someone in the infantry, there are things like equipment maintenance, strategic planning, um, logistics, operations, uh, even human resources, because these infantry soldiers, they're leading teams they're dealing with hr issues we just don't call it that in the military yeah. so it's it's about breaking out those misperceptions around you did infantry in the in the military all you can do is security we're opening up those doors to the skills that went into learning to be in the infantry can traverse a, a magnitude of careers in the civilian mar marketplace so, Robin, this is interesting because guess what my career was for 25 years before I started doing all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I was also an HR. Yeah. And I, I wasn't in the hiring, although I did hire uh, people uh, throughout for my, for my own team and such. However, to your point, when you look at how people are sourced. You get tons of resumes. And, and it started off, I was over at Arizona State where I was admitting students. And oftentimes what I found were like the GMAT scores and the GPAs oftentimes were misleading, especially when you interview face-to-face. -face. Right. And sometimes you had to make a gut call. And I remember there mm -hmm. were a few uh, folks that I either hired or that I... I accepted into the program uh, over at, for this particular MBA that were far below <laughs> what, what <laughs> would be considered average, but they were exceptional students, exceptional students, uh, because they were able to grasp what teamwork was. They were able to understand the mm -hmm. different types of circumstances um, or different environments uh, that that were taught in what, whether it be work or whether it be in the military, and you bring bring up an important point on strategy: how to be able to look at things holistically and then make it into bite-sized pieces that were that were so relevant to the team. And that's why uh, knowing that you have had that experience from HR, but also as an active military individual is huge <laughs> because yeah, you, yeah. you know what an after action review is. You know what a sit rep yeah. is. And how often have you found in organizations that even the internal communications does not jive with what's happening in the environment? Oh, absolutely. And there's, there's again, huge disconnects, right? And especially mm -hmm. as an organization gets bigger and bigger, the, those disconnects get wider and wider. Right, right. And they certainly do. They certainly I was, do. 
I was going to say, we were talking a little bit offline. I, being someone that comes from the healthcare environment, I think I have a little different perspective. And that's why I think I had a little harder time wrapping my head around it because when we, so I, I manage an emergency department, some of my best employees are military trained physicians and nurses and techs and medics, that type mm-hmm. of thing. I imagine a lot of the struggle comes with those positions that don't have that direct correlation. Like you said, like infantry or something like that, Right. where it's not a one-to-one or any, even close to a one-to-one match to a civilian um, you know, position. Is that kind of what you're running into? It is. But I would tell you, even in healthcare, when you think about being in the military as a nurse, they don't have to have a license. Uh, you know, they're not licensed nurses in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, now, doctors are, of course, doctors. They they're, go through all the schooling. But when they come out as a nurse or even an EMT or somebody that, you know, is in those roles, they have a, a difficult time getting the licensing transfer yeah. or the experience to transfer over to say, I've, I've served for 10 years in the military as a nurse. Yeah. And then some, some establishments, some organizations would require them to, that doesn't count in yes. my credentialing requirements, yeah. right? So there's that barrier, even in healthcare, even in those jobs that correlate. Teachers, um, you know, as another example, uh, truck drivers. In the military, our, our truck drivers are driving semi-tractor trailers. They're driving heavy equipment. They're operating heavy equipment, uh, construction equipment. But when they get out, they cannot get their CDL automatically wow. because the, yep. the experience doesn't translate, which is a huge barrier for them and a huge barrier for our employers because you know, there are millions of jobs out there looking for CDL drivers and our, our military can fit the bill, but they can't get that, that license right away based on their military experience. So, so that's kind of some of the barriers. And, and again, the other, the other things too about, thinking about jobs that you, know, you do in the military. I mean, I, I, I was programming COBOL and Fortran programs. I did Excel spreadsheets before, uh, before Microsoft based on just coding. But when I got out of the, the Navy, people didn't understand that and, and they didn't see that correlation immediately. The other thing too, is that when you look at a job description, you're looking at tasks. So it may say that you need to do uh, you know, SAP, HTML programming. Well, I don't have SAP experience because we didn't use that in the military, mm-hmm. but I have coding experience. I have programming experience. So I'm not even going to apply for that job because it says it's required. Mm-hmm. So now I, I've, I've missed out on that opportunity to even have the chance to talk to that employer. And, and to your point, th- th- that employer has missed out on that great employee mm-hmm. that, who could have learned, you know, that particular task very quickly because yep. in the military, we spend three quarters of our time in training, right? They're always learning something and they bring that learning agility and that strategic thinking to the civilian marketplace. And you have, you have absolutely practiced experiential learning where, where it's really yeah. Um, yes, it's learning in action. Seriously, when you yes. look at where where schools get it wrong, at least <laughs> this is just my own humble opinion, is 
I learn, but I don't know why I'm learning it. When you have to apply it in an emerging situation or whatever it might be, it's amazing how deep that understanding, knowledge, and action uh, are applied. Um, and it's it, to me, it's kind of a bummer to hear that the certifications oftentimes get in the way. My my uh, my business partner in another business, he was he was a, a medic uh, with one, one of the special ops teams here. And I have seen the guy in action. There was a guy that crashed out and saw it out in front of his house. He was right there on the spot and he knew exactly what to do when the emergency personnel came in. They thought, well, this is all taken care of. Uh, someone had a seizure uh, at, at, at the Capitol or near the Capitol here. And he knew exactly what to do. Everyone else was freaking mm -hmm. out. And there he was. No certifications, no nothing. But he was it was tested and hardened in the in, in, in the field of battle. And right. man, when again, when I I can't help but feel excited because I have such a deep respect <laughs> for the military and what what so many people have seen and done that I can only catch a glimpse of understanding of what they went through and an understanding that you are helping in, in this way is such a big deal because you do have those connections. And I, I'm wondering, how do you connect and align those individuals with their skills, with organizations? What do those conversations look like? Yeah, well, great question. I want to just I want to just talk about a little bit about the education piece. You're talking about the training. Well, you, just to point out that when we're in training in the military, they know that it's still life or death, right? Mm -hmm. It's they're they know they're in training, but they know that if they don't get the training right, that when they're out on the actual mission, things go wrong. So when they're in training, even though it's an exercise or they're learning. They're learning with the mindset that this is still life and death, right? right? And what happens with the schools is, like you said, you're not learning practical experience. You're not in that situation of thinking, what's going to happen if I don't learn this correctly? What are the long-term or the next step issues I'm going to have if I don't take this seriously and learn it now? So I just wanted to, to, to capitalize on that, but to come to, back to how we do this. So um, it really came down to taking out all of the noise, right? What, what's the noise today? Well, the resume is the biggest noise, the biggest barrier in getting to an interview. ATS programs, applicant tracking systems, is another huge barrier requiring someone to apply first to get to an interview. That's a huge barrier because one, as I mentioned before, they're going to self um, you know, take themselves out of the running because they'll see something, well, I don't have that experience, so I'm not even going to apply. Or what, what's happened now with businesses, because they get so many applicants, not candidates, right. they're using applicant tracking systems as filters, right? So you need an education, you know, you need a four-year degree for a job that, you know, two years ago didn't need that degree. Why? And nothing has changed except you want to filter out applicants. So this is a way to do that. You want to say you need four years of industry experience. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that the skills that I acquired in pharmaceutical or healthcare don't apply to the skills you need for the same logistics job that, that I did in that industry? 
so it's it's those kind of barriers that employers are stuck on right now that we're removing. So no resume. We do not have the candidate search for jobs. We automatically match them to employers based on the skills. We don't have them apply first. We are making direct connections to employers. And our employers are using our program because they are making an investment in their talent strategy. Our program is a long-term strategic uh, intentional model so that you can get to the skills you need, get to the candidates you need, not just a bunch of applicants who have successfully gotten their, their resume through the filters, but have no experience or no skills, just to, you know, to the earlier point of, you know, there's people that have the skills, but they don't represent themselves right, or they don't have the skills and they somehow figure out how to get through the filters. You've got to figure that out. We're doing that work for the employers. We're saying, what skills do you need? Where's the job located? What's the salary range that you're offering? Here's a candidate. There's the skills that they have, the salary requirement they're looking for, and here's where they're located as well as where they're willing to relocate. Mm-hmm. They line up from the algorithm. Our, our algorithm does a match score for each one of our candidates compared to the job profile. And the, the employers view their, their profile, have a conversation with them set up an interview. It's, it's really that simple. Uh, it goes back to, you know, the days of I, I got my first job in high school. I walked into the Ponderosa restaurant and talked to the manager. He said, what would you like to do? I said, these are the skills that I have. This is what I, I love talking to people. I got hired as a greeter. You know, so it, it goes back to that simplistic, make those connections, get to the heart of what does an employer need? Here's a candidate with those skills, with that, uh, you know, that experience and, and open up those doors. So that's you, how it works. So super simple. <laughs> this is incredibly non-traditional, but so effective. Yes. <laughs> right? This is, yes. this is what could be called a paradigm shift, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, just the fact exactly. of getting rid of resumes, I think is fantastic because it's such an outdated and worthless And what's funny about that is you talk to a lot of HR people and they'll say, I do not like resumes. We don't like it. But unfortunately, because it's that stuck in cement, you know, way we've always done it, people can't see far enough to get out of their own way to get rid of the resume. I mean, I've had people tell me, I need that resume. And I said, well, well, why? Why do you? Why can't you use our skills profile to do that? In, well, the skills profile is just a bunch of words on a on a piece of paper. And I, I'm like, um, did you just hear what you just said? Because a resume <laughs> is just a piece of paper with a bunch of words on it. It's the wrong word. Yeah. I, what what <laughs> right? type of? I, I don't know if you can say specifically or, but but what companies are you seeing success with this, or what industries? You know, I'm sure that you've kind of established some connections with people. Where are you having the most success? Yeah, we have. Um, really, manufacturing is great because they have such a breadth of jobs that they need to fill within the organization. So manufacturing is great. And the skills traverse, right? So it's not, you can teach you know, maintenance technicians and you can teach manufacturing production lines. You can teach logistics, shipping, all of those things within the manufacturing world. So 
Manufacturing is good. Construction, we've had some great experience with construction. Um, we have a great relationship with the Carolinas Association of General Contractors, getting candidates out of the military. Both the Army and the Navy have very specialized construction jobs. Um, so that, that's a great fit. Um, IT uh, has been another great one um, because there's a lot of you know, information technology jobs, cybersecurity, cyber roles in the military. So that's been a great industry for us. Honestly, there, we have no limitations other than, as I mentioned before, licensing positions. So if companies are looking for licensed CDLs, licensed nurses, licensed electricians, that's a little bit harder because people coming right out of the service do not have those licensing in place. But anything else, I am, I am absolutely 1,000% confident we can find the talent because, again, if you break down like infantry, if you break down the role that I played and I, I learned in the military, I can take those skills and, and learn just about any job you can throw at me um, because I've had to do that in the military. You know, I, I've had to learn other jobs. When I go out on a mission, I may be a data processing technician, but in this particular deployment, I'm going to need to be the supply chain manager because there is no supply chain manager available for this particular mission. So they're gonna teach me to be that supply chain manager for this deployment, for this particular duty station. So it's just about you know, thinking differently about where you source candidates, what you're looking for in a candidate, not just trying to throw bodies uh, at, at an application. Yes. And what I also like about the, the skills uh, piece of it is it does go a long way into removing a lot of bias. Uh, I know yes. a lot, many times in interviews, for instance, those that I've experienced and other people have experienced have always expressed, you know, they had, I, I could see there's certain bias that uh, um, they might not have seen, but they're really going toward Right. And, and this is this has been proven over mm-hmm. and over again. And it's just one of the things that the skills um, approach that you're using, uh, you're going in blind. Right. If, if someone is saying the skill, here's yes. the skills, then it's it's kind of blind. You're, it doesn't have a name to it or anything. Hey, here's the skill sets this individual has. Boom. They don't know if they're male or female. They don't know what ethnicity are, whatever. It's really skills based. I, I, I think this is it's pretty neat. (laughs) Absolutely. And you're right, because we don't show any of that information. So when an employer first sees the profile that gets matched to them, they see the initials of the candidate. They don't see anything that would give them any sort of pause for what their ethnicity is, what their age is, what their um, gender is. The same thing with on on the disability side, when our employers get matched to candidates at Ability Ascend, they, we, we have no, uh, no disability information in there. The only thing is that employer knows this person has some sort of disability, but they don't know what it is. And it doesn't matter. You look at the skills. This person has the skills I need. They're located where I need them to be. Their salary requirement fits into the salary range I can offer. I'm going to have a conversation. Nothing else matters mm-hmm. at that point. Age, gender, ethnicity, nothing else matters. And it also helps our employers that use our program to be in the mindset to prepare for the next stage of that candidate's experience. 
So uh, I'm onboarding a military candidate. I'm onboarding someone with a disability. I'm already prepared for that. As an example, there were many times I applied for jobs. I didn't put down that I am a veteran because Mm. there are certain stigmas to that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would or military spouses, military spouses won't put down that they're a military spouse because people say, oh, you're going to leave in two or three years. I'll just Mm -hmm. get you trained and and you're going to have to move or you you don't have experience in in this industry because you've jumped around so much. So we won't even put it on our our application. So now that employer hires me. Mm -hmm. They have no idea I'm a veteran. They have no idea how to onboard me in the way that will help me be successful as a veteran in my military culture or as a person with a disability. I'm also legally blind in my left eye. Mm. I have some limitations in how I see things, right? But that employer doesn't know that. And they can't then give me a better candidate experience and employee experience. But with our program, they're already in the mindset. They're being intentional about including in their inclusivity of talent, military talent, people with disabilities, and the next stage of their, their step in the process. Now they're going to connect me with their veteran resource group. They're going to connect me with a mentor. They're going to connect me with resources within their organization that's going to help me be successful and stay long-term, thereby reducing their turnover. So it's just so many things. I get so excited about it. There's so many things that we're doing that help. Well, and I can, I can only imagine how hard it is going into, you know, the job field or whatever with a quote unquote disability being already labeled or having an issue. You know what I mean? You're like, well, this person yes. already has a disability. I have disabilities. We all have disabilities. We just don't have we to all, put them yeah, down. Absolutely. <laughs> So I, I think it's fantastic that, that that element is minimized or eliminated because my disability, you know, depending on the job I go for, isn't even relevant at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. And the nice thing we've done in Ability Ascend is because obviously we, we don't have, sometimes the, the candidates don't have occupations that we can translate into a skills list. So now we've given them the opportunity to, to um, recognize uh, capabilities or competencies that they're proud of. So I can say that I, I'm an introvert. I like to work behind the scenes. I don't want to be in front of people, but I can do very good tasks behind the scenes, right? I can put boxes together. I can do all these things. So now the employer can pick the job in the job profile. They can say, hey, we need somebody that works well behind the scenes, that doesn't want to be in front of a client or other uh, employees or, or things like that. And I can be recognized for who I am, not what I'm lacking or what I might be missing because this employer, you know, says I have to have uh, this ability or, you know, I've got to, I've got to be able to, to talk to people. Well, I don't want to do that, but I can still do the job. So it, it's helping, especially our people with disabilities and even our veterans and military spouses be proud of who they are rather than feeling bad that they don't fit into a job description box that somebody wrote. Yeah. What I, what I'm hearing on both sides, both, both on the veteran side and the, on the disability side is you really are setting people up for success. Cause like you said, you can yeah. throw body, you can throw bodies at jobs and people either wash out or, you know, it's not a good fit or they weren't onboarded appropriately 
what you guys are doing is really kind of setting them up for success from the very beginning. I think that's just fantastic. Truly is. It truly is. It's so simple too. I, (laughs) I really appreciate its simplicity because it's hard to argue. I think sometimes, uh, especially having come from human resources, we make it so complex and it doesn't yeah. have to be, doesn't have to be. Exactly. I also, I also appreciate that you are helping military spouses because I know some, oftentimes that really does, uh, does impact the, the value, oftentimes the value that they see in themselves. And nurturing that is a big deal. I'm just wondering, what are some of the success stories that you've had in helping military spouses? Yeah, well, the the very first one is getting rid of the resume, right? Because Mm. if you look at a resume and you see gaps in their work history because they, uh, you know, they stayed home uh, to be a stay-at-home parent because they were going to be stationed somewhere for a year. Um, and just decided that that was the right thing for their family, for them to stay home. But then, so they have gaps in their work history or they have lack of career progression because they, they move around so much that they get a job as an administrative assistant. And that's, that's where they stay because that's what they can go back to each time they move. And mm-hmm. so they have that lack of career progression, which to an employer says, oh, this person lacks initiative, uh, lacks something in order to get promoted because they're not progressing. There's got to be something wrong with them. Uh, so getting rid of the resume is the very first thing that, that we help our military spouses. The other thing is, if I am a stay-at-home parent, I have skills <laughs> that don't get recognized on a resume. Yes. People just discount yes. it if I'm a stay-at-home parent that I just sit around and, and eat bonbons all day. That's <laughs> totally not the case. Right. It's so yes. it's, there's so many skills that go into being a stay-at-home parent: logistics, financing, budgeting, supply. You know, all of these things, operations. Um, so it's just, and so we help them. We, we have a job within our program that will translate stay-at-home parent, occupational. I, I forget what it's called. I, I should know this, but it, <laughs> you know, occupational, domestic. Uh, uh, you know, whatever it is, we translate <laughs> that into a list of skills for them. Right. So that's, that's where we're helping. Robin we're just, also helping employers. Oh. What's that? Oh, no, go ahead. I, Sorry, just I get so excited. No, no, Savior, I just had to laugh because when you were talking about the stay at home mom thing, when my kids, I have four kids when they were younger, probably, you know, four or five around that age, my, my, my wife went out of town and my kids were <laughs> literally crying. We're going to die. We're not going to be able to eat. <laughs> so, I could never stay at home, mom. Yeah, incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry about it. When you think about, no, no, that's it's great because when you think about military spouses, too, you know, I, I was on active duty. I was also married to someone in the Navy at the time. And so we had a 14 month old daughter when we got orders from Brunswick, Maine to Honolulu, Hawaii. My husband at the time had to go to SEER school in San Diego before he could arrive in, in Hawaii. So my 14-month-old daughter and I made the move, relocation from oh. Brunswick, Maine to Hawaii by ourselves. Oh, wow. And that's what military spouses do. I yes. mean, they're, they're charged with packing up the house, 
moving to the next location, figuring yes. out all the logistics, where are the doctor's offices, where are the grocery stores, you know, all of these things. And they don't have a support system necessarily. So when I would move in the Navy, I mean, I went to my next duty station. I knew exactly where I had to go. And I had someone at that duty station assigned to me that, you know, helped me acclimate. Here's where you go on base. Here's where you can do all of these things. As a spouse, I had none of that. When I first got to Hawaii, it was like, okay, what do I do with my daughter? Where's my child care? Where, where's the doctor's offices? Where are all these things? As a military spouse, you have to figure that out for yourself. And you're doing that every two to three years, if not more often. I served for nine, almost 10 years in the Navy. We moved six times. My daughter, before she was five years old, had lived in four different states. Man. So yeah. it, that's, that's the scenario that our military spouses live in every day. And with the uncertainty, right, of the, the dangers their spouse are in, that they never know what's going to happen with mm. that. They never know from one day to the next that the military is going to say, hey, I need you to move to, you know, uh, Egypt. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I need you to, and you're moving in two weeks, right? It's not, oh, well, this is a, I'll, I'll think about this. And in 90 days, uh, I, you know, be prepared to move. No, no, you know, <laughs> you don't get that luxury. So we're, we're helping employers see the resiliency, the perseverance, the dedication, the adaptability of our military spouses and the assets yes. that that brings to an organization. You just can't beat it, really. You can't. And being, again, being in HR, when you talk about change management, I was, I was more in the talent development and OD side. And when you look at change management, there's that cycle of change, right? And they, they liken it to, to the stages of death oftentimes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing yeah. is, you don't have that luxury of time as you just mentioned, no. to process that change, you're just thrust into it. And I, I've, never, I, I've never even considered that, that dynamic on, on the military spouse and the balance that that has on the soldier. And I want to thank you uh, for bringing that up. Because when, when we look at the soldier themselves, oftentimes we don't take into account the very deep types of, of emotional uh, types of things that that their families are are dealing with when they go through that sudden change too. Uh, so thank yeah. you for bringing that up. That's a good point. Well, even just when you think about deployments, right? So my spouse um, was gone when we were in the Navy. When we were in Brunswick, he was deployed to Iceland um, for six months out of the year, and I, I was alone that whole time with with our daughter. And so you know, and, and now I'm functioning as a single parent and now all of a sudden my spouse comes home how do you fit them back into your routine right there's so many dynamics of and like you said the emotional state of that number one while the spouse is on deployment they're they're worried about what they're missing you know they're thinking about that although we, we keep them very busy in the military but they're they're thinking about those things and then when they come home it's how do they get acclimated or integrated back into the routine. You know, the, the spouse is used to, okay, I've got to take the kids here. I've got to take the kids there. Now all of a sudden I have a helping hand. How do I fit them back in? So there's, there, there's all of those pieces too. 
And and when you there's a statistic out there the DOD puts out, I think it's I think it's 53% of our service members will decide to stay in the military or leave the service based on their spouse being able to have gainful employment um, wherever they go. So wow. think about that or good schools um, in the, in the next duty station that they're going in. So think about our, our military is already running lean, most like most organizations do. Right. But if you 53% decide they no longer want to serve, think about what happens to our national security. And they're making that decision all because their spouse cannot get gainful employment. Wow. So it, it's just, there's a lot that goes into it. It sounds like there's a, a huge opportunity, probably both on the civilian side and also on the military side of, you know, let, let's say, for example, that I'm, a, I'm in the military and let's say I, I do drive trucks, just as an example, is are we really helping them prepare for a civilian life, getting the licensing? It sounds like the whole licensing thing is a huge deal. So let's say I know that I'm going to be out of the military in six months. Is there a way or is there organizations that they can reach out to to start that process before, you know, so they can dovetail nicely into the civilian world? It sounds like that might be lacking. Great point. So there's still a lot of barriers with that. I will tell you that um, the DOD is getting much better. Um, Certainly when I got out of the Navy, there was nothing. There was no transition assistance. There was, you know, there was, hey, you're in uniform one day, here's your final check and take that uniform off and you're out of here. Now they have what we call transition assistance programs. The Army has a great um, program where they they look at their soldiers 18 months out from their uh, transition date and they start to take them through a program. It's not perfect uh, by any means, but it's getting better. Here's the reality for the DOD. If they don't help them transition into a job as a civilian quickly enough, the DOD is paying unemployment. So it is in their best interest, right, to help them make that transition. At the same time, the military is is an organization like any employer. What employer out there do you know that would say, (laughs) okay, you're going to you're giving me your two week notice. I'm going to help you get your next job. Sure. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, now the, the, the flip side of that is of course, we're, we're serving our country and it's a little bit different dynamic. Right. And, and I raised my hand to, to, to protect our freedom. Um, so it's a little bit different. However, it's still a business. It's still uh, run as a business and needs to, to be thought of that way. But so there are lots of programs out there. There are a lot of organizations, uh, uh, thousands of veteran service organizations that are, they have niche programs that will help, you know, truck drivers get their CDL. Uh, and we partner with a lot of those to get their candidates into our program to, to match with our employers. Um, there are programs out there that will take people in the construction industry and Helmets to Hard Hats is one that will, will help you go from being in the service to the construction industry. Um, there are there are thousands of programs out there, um, and, and we've got a lot of those partners on our uh, website. So certainly um, people can check that out. And we're always happy to help anyone that you know comes to us and says, "Here's, here's what I'm looking for." We're we have a multitude of resources that we can connect them to, a vast social network that we tap into. So um, that's really what our we have military advocates on staff 
that do just that. That's all they do is build those relationships with our military installations, veteran service organizations, schools, training organizations, universities to help make our candidates, our, our service members and military spouses successful in their transition. It sounds like there's also opportunity on the civilian side as far as the regulatory agencies. Like, for example, if I'm a, a nurse coming out of the military, it would be nice if there was allowance for that where, say, the, you know, the powers that be that do the licensing can say, OK, this directly correlates to being a civilian RN. You know, this is what you need to do on a truncated basis to, to get your license or as a truck driver. You know, this is. This is, this is the only additional training I need on the civilian side to be a successful, you know, truck driver. To see that there's a lot of opportunity there to really just make that process so much smoother. There is. And I will tell you, there are some states. So there are some state governments that have created programs to make it easier within their state. What we need is for the federal government to really come out and, and because we work for the federal government when we're in the military, we don't work for the state. That's why we can get unemployment right out of the military. Um, but so the federal government needs to do a better job of saying these programs, this is the criteria, but it, you know, it's just one of those things that there's not enough push behind it right now, but I will say that there are organizations fighting those battles. Um, and we're, we're part of some of that advocacy as well, especially truck drivers, because we just partnered with the South Carolina um, Trucking Association looking for, you know, great, great drivers uh, for their employers. And so we're being part of an advocacy group to help make that happen. So it, it is it is slowly coming around. There's slowly, you know, organizations that will help the federal government see the, the value in that. Um, so. But we've got a lot more work to do. Yes, to your point, a lot more work to do. Yeah, well, th thanks for all you do. I, your organizations are fantastic because I was, you know, researching you, yeah. what you guys are accomplishing. It's just amazing. Thank, thank you so much. And Robin, you said something you. in an interview one time. I was very proud of being part of something bigger than me. And you continue that yeah. tradition. And I'm looking forward uh, to visiting with you in the future as as more success comes and wish you well and whatever we can do for you please let us know uh, and you use this as a medium to to reach other audiences as well because what you're doing is is very noble but incredibly impactful and i, I can't thank you enough well, thank you you got well, thank it. you so much i i appreciate the opportunity and i appreciate your guys' support and and really having it having you out there as a voice for us so thank you so much you bet. Thank you for your time. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh.